as well. Um, more importantly than any of those things is for them to, to, to recognize and acknowledge and embrace your gospel and, and respond faithfully to you, their Lord and their Savior. And that's true for us as well. So uh, I, I pray that you would use this time to open our hearts and minds, soften us, make us teachable, and transform us ultimately by your Spirit. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How can I pray for you? I'm asking that pretty rhetorically. Uh, not very reali realistic to go around the room right now to take prayer requests. We'd be here till 3 o'clock, well beyond the time that babies in the room or their parents could tolerate. But what's the first thing that comes to mind when you consider the question, how can I pray for you? Going through a pandemic with all kinds of isolation and economic uncertainty and kids going to school in masks or virtually, I could give you one or two things to pray for. I think we all could. But the, the question is this, is the urgent pushing out what's important? Or is the urgent driving away what's really important? That's what we want to look at today. We ended our series in the, in the book of Acts last week with Paul imprisoned in Rome, awaiting his trial before Caesar. The last couple of verses, the, the author Luke writes, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the, what, uh, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's how it ends. That's how the book of Acts ends. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Well, beginning today, we're, we're going to look at one of the letters Paul wrote from prison, the letter of Colossians. Interestingly enough, Colossians was written to believers that Paul had never met before. They'd become believers through the ministry of one of Paul's disciples named Epaphras. So these Colossian believers were like Paul's spiritual grandchildren. Epaphras had, had recently visited Paul and told him that this young church was doing great, doing awesome. They were growing in all, all the ways uh, that a pastor would love to hear about um, and, and long for. They, they embodied the new life in Christ as, as God's new creation so well, and the kingdom of God was doing uh, amazing things through them, was advancing and taking new, new ground, not only in their individual hearts, but to a surrounding world. Nevertheless, they faced incredible pressures to conform to the worldviews around them. Paul knew these pressures well. In fact, um, these pressures were, were the subject of other letters he'd written. You know, if, if you're familiar with them, think Galatians, think 1 Corinthians. He knew that to add anything to Jesus, to add anything to Jesus, is really subtraction. In other words, it distorts the gospel into something it's not. And in the process, these, these pressures can really threaten to, to stunt their growth in the gospel. So in the first chapter, between, between uh, this week and next, we're, 
we're going to hear Paul come out of the gates really strong with words that were meant to embolden these young believers, meant to encourage them, but more importantly, to shine a massive spotlight on the supremacy of our risen and reigning Jesus. So we're going to jump into the first chapter, uh, Colossians 1. I'd really encourage you, if you, if you have a phone or uh, something to read it on, to keep that handy. Uh, we're going to read the first 14 verses. So Colossians 1, 1 through 14, okay? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray f- for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and it has made and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. So as I was reading this and thinking back to January and February, based on where we've been over the past couple months, with our focus on prayer and other spiritual disciplines in January, and then on hope as we finish the book of Acts in in February, I don't think it's any accident that God led us to this part of his word today. Prayer tied to hope. Just one more reminder that our sovereign God is not only walking through this difficult season with us, but he's using all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, for his glory and our good. The structure of this opening section of Colossians is pretty straightforward. Starting with verse 3, Paul begins by telling them what he thanks God for and why. And then in the next paragraph, starting in verse 9, he, he tells them what he asked God to do for them. All of this is leading up to this important purpose of this statement, which we'll get to in a minute, on their behalf. So there's the roadmap of where we're going. 
Let's, let's begin with why does Paul have so much reason to thank God? So right out, right out of the gates, he, he lists the big three. The big three are faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope are the spiritual fruit that always, they always accompany God's word going forth into the, wor- into the world and being planted and returning to him what, it, what he intended for it to accomplish. So the, the, the prophet Isaiah famously wrote in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but water the earth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I send it. Well, how did the word rain down on the Colossians? Through the faithful ministry of Epaphras, who opened his mouth. He was the messenger who, who boldly shared the life-changing history and altering news of the gospel. So check out how many times and, and ways the word or gospel is described here in a few short verses, starting in verse 5. Verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Verse 6, which has come to you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth. Verse verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras. As we said last week, the gospel is good news. It's not something we, we pick up or catch along the way. It's, it's not like, you know, I, I can learn how to cook by watching my parent cook, or I can learn how to change a tire by watching someone else change a tire. No, the, the gospel is something that needs to be shared. It, it's something that needs to be announced again and again, and it tells us that the same God who made us is the same God who paid in full for the sins of the world. That he defeated death that he's alive and ruling and will one day return to restore all things. That's something that needs to be explained. That's something that needs to be understood. It's something that needs to be processed. It's something that needs to be internalized. And that's precisely how the word went out to them. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. How do we know that the, the word of God did not return to him empty with the Colossians? In other words, what, what's the evidence? What's the fruit? Faith, hope, and love. Verses four and five. Your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's the fruit. So let's just look at these very briefly. Faith. Faith is more than giving mental assent to someone or something. Faith faith is a belief in Jesus because you know that your very life depends on him. You get the fact that you, you were lost but now are found. You were blind but now you can see. You were dead but are alive with him again. You've 
So you've chosen, you've chosen to live your life in, the light, in, in light of the fact that you now belong to him. That's faith. Love. Especially love for, for other believers and saints means um, you cherish your new family that you've been ado- adopted into. Again, that's completely by grace. You love them with warts and all, imperfections and everything. Why? Because, because you recognize that this new community is a, is a gift. And so you're privileged to serve them in all the ways that the Spirit outfits his church with uh, myriad gifts. Jesus said, the, the, the world will know that you're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. Faith, love, hope. As we've been considering over the past month, hope is a rock-solid confidence in God's promised future based on what he has already done for us in the past. It's, it's rooted in reality, but it aches for the day when all things will be restored. No more COVID, no more disease of any kind, no more death, no more tears, no more injustice, no more division. Death will be swallowed up. Faith, hope, love. All the fruit of the fact that the gospel came to them, that they've, they've heard it, and learned it, and understood it, and perceived it, and internalized its implications on all of life. All signs of his life-giving word going out and returning to him, uh, not empty, but full. Full of the very thing God intended. So, it, it, just reading that paragraph, it sounds like the, Col- the Colossians are nailing it. They're just hitting the ball out of the park. So, with, with so much to thank God for, what do you pray for people who are doing so well? What, what do you pray for when there's, there's really no tyranny of the urgent? Do you, do you drop them from your prayer list? Paul doesn't. Paul's answer is this. Keep asking him to do more of the same. Check out verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Thanking has been constant, so now asking is constant. And he writes, says, it is likely not that such prayers occupied all Paul's waking hours. He, he does not pray haphazardly or only when the mood takes him, but keeps regular hours of prayer. It's a discipline. It's a discipline that needs to be learned. You can see this in the, in the first chapter of, of Romans. Uh, he says, for God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. In one of his letters to the Thessalonians, he, he commands his disciples, pray without ceasing. 
Thanking is constant. Asking should be constant as well. We have not ceased to pray for you. So the kinds of things to thank God for are the very things to keep uh, asking. That, that's the link between what he thanks God for and what comes next, which brings us to the second paragraph. What does Paul ask God to do? What does he ask God to do for these Colossians? Verse 9 again says, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, we've all expressed these kinds of requests before. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find out God's will for my career. Or I'm trying to find out um, his, his will for my relationship with this person. Or I'm trying to find out his, his will for my future. Not, not bad at all. In fact, I, I want to be careful not to discourage anyone from asking anything of the Father. There, there is something noble about having childlike faith. But if we're, we're constantly asking these ki- t- types of questions that revolve around my career and my relationship and my future and my whatever, you know, dot, 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 we can't help but notice our old friend's self-centeredness, self-centeredness has come in and taken up residence in our heart. Pretty soon, the, the whole world revol- revolves around us. Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. For David, it, it's understood that the will of God was known. That wasn't the problem. It was doing his will. It's difficult. D.A. Carson writes, uh, it is folly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of a marriage partner or some form of Christian vocation when there is no deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it. We need to be filled with a knowledge of his will, not to be super spiritual, not to be puffed up with knowledge, as Paul calls it in another place. No, our, our growth in these areas of knowledge, our growth in these areas of wisdom, spiritual understanding, serve another purpose. And that purpose is given in verse 10. Check it out. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Uh, for some of you, uh, you, you sort of bristle at this. It, it sounds like you have to behave in such a way to, to, to stay in God's good graces, to, to maintain acceptability. Believe me, I, I totally get that reaction. In fact, um, I have bristled at verses like this before. Who can fully please God? Who can walk in a manner worthy of, of Him? The answer to that question is, of course, only one man. Jesus Christ. 
We have to see this in light of the verses uh, in, in 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. You hear that? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of, saints, of the saints in light. In other words, he alone has made us acceptable. He alone has clothed us with all of his righteousness. So going on to verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But here's the thing. The, the more we grow in our knowledge of him who loved us all the way to the cross, who, who died that we could live, a gradual change happens. A, a, a change in motivations happens. A, a heart of stone that used to say, I have to walk in a way fully pl- uh, to fully please him has transformed into a heart that says, I want to walk in a way that fully pleases him. You hear the difference? The old me has been crucified with Christ. The new me, the me that lasts forever, only has life because Jesus lives. It it demands an energy and a power that is beyond what any of us can produce. It, It demands the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And and that's exactly what we've been given. In Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, Paul writes a very similar passage there. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you hear that? The, the same power uh, that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that causes us to gradually live in such a way that fully pleases him, live in, lives in such a way that is worthy of our Lord. Does that make you look at your sin differently? Does that, does that cause you to, to, to look at all the ways you walked in the opposite direction as Jesus in a, in a whole new way? It does for me. I, I want to be done with those ways. It's like a shirt that no longer fits. I, I want to be done with selfishness, done with pride, done with greed, done with lust done with jealousy. I want more of what the Spirit produces. And the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So that's, that's what he describes next. Not, not in an exhaustive way, but, but kind of a for instance way. Starting after the colon in verse 10 in our ESV, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So what do you pray for people who seem to be doing so well? Paul's answer is, you double down. More of the same. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> after this year, I miss the old Patriots with uh, the Belichick-Brady duo. And one of the common criticisms levied against them that earned them the, the title, the evil empire, uh, was the way in which they would run up the score. Scores like 52 to 7. So uh, the press was constantly asking, Bill, is, is it really necessary to run up the score? And Belichick's answer was this. There's still time on the clock, isn't there? The point is, we have to have no mercy on our sin. No mercy on our distorted ways of looking at God or one another or ourselves. We have to keep growing, keep getting stronger, keep bearing fruit, keep giving thanks with all joy and patience and endurance. Don't take the growth you've experienced or are experiencing now for granted at all. Run up the score. So a few questions for you. Number one, given that one of the purposes of prayer is that we would be pleasing to Jesus, what, what are some concrete things in your own life um, you, you should be praying about? Where, where is it challenging? In other words, where is it challenging to follow Jesus fully, to please him fully now? Number two, when's the last time you prayed for brothers and sisters you, you've never met before, like Paul did for the Colossians? What's one or two steps uh, you, you can take toward being more faithful in that area? Number three, when's the last time you were burdened to, to pray for people who are going through a season of faithfulness, not difficulty. It might be difficulty, but they're being faithful and fruitful. When's the last time you were burdened to pray for them? Last, lastly, the, the first question in the New City Catechism that keeps our focus on the main thing. This is the first question. What is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I would encourage us, um, at, you know, this is, tomorrow's the start of a new month. I would encourage each and every one of us to, to start every day this month uh, by looking at that question the first thing in the morning. Memorize it. Let's pray. Father, thank you 